Hey everybody, I'm glad that you're watching this last installment of our midweek college Bible study uh, for the spring semester. I'm glad you're tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the, uh, the videos we've been posting during this time of quarantine. I will let you know. Uh, if you're one of our students, you'll know this, but if you're uh, someone else who's been watching not in our college ministry, this is part of our midweek Bible study for our college ministry on Wednesday nights, and this will be the last one for the semester. Uh, the semester is now over, and so this is the last, the last uh, installment of this midweek Bible study for the semester. We'll take a break during the summer months. Things get slower during the summer. Fewer students are in town, but this midweek Bible study on, on Wednesdays will gear back up when the fall semester begins in, uh, in August. But again, I'm glad that you're watching and, and you're here tonight uh, for this last installment of our study through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, that being said, if you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, that you'll you'll uh, open it and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're actually coming to the end of our study this semester through the Lord's Prayer. That We began this just after spring break, if you'll recall. And, uh, and just as a reminder, just because we're not uh, having our studies on Wednesday nights doesn't mean we're not going to gather on Sundays. It's the Lord's Day. And so uh, just a, just another word of reminder that on Sunday, May the 17th, so not this Sunday, but the next, uh, we're going to start a summer series on Sunday mornings through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. And so I, it's a challenging book, uh, to say the least. It's challenging to understand, but I hope that it will be a fruitful and beneficial study for us. I hope that you'll go ahead knowing that now, if you haven't already, go ahead and be reading through Ecclesiastes, getting familiar with the book and, and, and even thinking through some of the things yourself. I think if you do that, if you'll read it ahead of time and, and, and already be familiar with it when our study begins, you'll just get that much more out of it. Uh, that's the way it goes. And you have time now. You have a couple of weeks or a week and a half to, you could read it through several times before uh, the 17th gets here. Gets here. Oh, on that note, this Sunday, we're just going to be in a passage in Ephesians chapter 1, thinking about the Lordship of Christ. So read ahead on that too. But like I said, tonight we're finishing up this uh, series on the Lord's Prayer, this great historical prayer that the Lord Jesus left to his people, to his followers. It's recorded for us twice in the New Testament. I hope you know by now here in Matthew chapter 6 and then again in abbreviated form in Luke chapter 11. And we have focused mainly on Matthew's account of this gospel, since it is the more expanded version of it. Tonight, we're coming to uh, a, a, an interesting and, and a somewhat debated uh, portion of the traditional Lord's Prayer, the doxology at the conclusion of it. And, and this is nothing new to you. If you've been with us throughout this series, we've it's come up a couple of times already throughout the study, but if you're watching for the first time, um, uh, it's in this. What we're going to talk about tonight is this doxology at the end is interesting and it's debated because if you're open to Matthew chapter six and you start looking at this prayer beginning in verse nine, and you read down through verse thirteen, you will not find there in the main text this doxology that we're going to talk about tonight. So. Um, it's not in the main text. You will find it, however, more than likely in your Bible, if yours is like mine at all, uh, you'll find it footnoted at the bottom of the page. And, uh, and, and it has some brief explanatory note why it is footnoted. But before we get into all that, 
and, and understand it a little better, we should, as is our custom, read the whole passage ahead of time um, and honor the Lord by hearing His Word spoken to us. So if you found Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 9 and read through the footnoted doxology. The Lord Jesus said to His disciples, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And footnoted down at the bottom of the page, For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this that we just read, um, this Lord's Prayer is, is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. <clears throat> we say that about the majority of the passage we just read. We understand that it's a bit debated what we're going to think about tonight. But uh, we, we, we understand that even what we are going to think about tonight is rooted in the truth of your word. And we understand that to be the character of your word. So I ask that you would help us to, to understand what we're going to think about tonight. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to embrace and love and receive the truth that we're going to think about tonight. Give us wills to obey and heed whatever it is you call us to do in it. Give us all ears to hear, please, and give me the help that I need to teach. I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's that doxology that's footnoted at the bottom of the page that will be our focus tonight. And if you're already somewhat familiar with the Lord's Prayer, that, that line will not sound strange to you. For, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In fact, you may be you know very familiar with it. If you said it in church growing up, or if you're anything like me, anytime we pray playing sports uh, in high school, anytime we prayed before the game. It seemed like that's the prayer we prayed. Prayed it in the King James Version and, uh, and, and, and included that, that doxology in it at the end. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You're, maybe, you may be so familiar with it. You may be wondering, well, why is it not there in the main text? Why is it footnoted at the bottom of the page and it's not in the main text? The issues that I want to think about tonight and this is a this is not a sermon per se. It's a it's a it's a it's a Bible study, and we want to learn how to understand our Bible a little better. And sometimes we have issues like this come up. So what I, the 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 issues that I want to think through tonight to give you confidence in in the scriptures are why is this footnoted? Why is this doxology not in the main text? Why is it footnoted? Since it is footnoted and not in the main text, should we pray this portion if we're if we're using this Lord's Prayer in our own prayer life, and I've encouraged you to do that many times already in this study, not just to use this as an example, which is entirely appropriate to do, but to incorporate this very prayer into your own prayer life. This is a Spirit-inspired, Lord Jesus Christ-given prayer. And he's, when he says here in Matthew 6, pray then like this, in Luke's version, Jesus says, when you pray, say this. <laughs> And so, if we're using, if we're if we're reciting this prayer, 
in our prayer life, since it's footnoted this portion of it, should we recite that portion? Should we pray that, right? And if we pray it, if we say, yeah, let's, I'll, I'll pray that, then what should we learn from this? Okay, And I'll go ahead and lay my cards on the, on the table. Um, I, I agree on why it is footnoted and why it's not in the main text. I'll try to un- explain to you the reasons why that is, and, and I, know, I understand the reasons why they did it. I agree with those. I, I think it should be footnoted in the bottom of your text. That, still being, that being said, I still believe that we can pray it wholeheartedly uh, and learn from it. So what I want us to consider tonight are two things. One, the origin of the doxology on the Lord's Prayer. The origin. Why is it footnoted? How did it get there? Um, when, did it, when did it become? Uh, if it's, when did it become a part of the, of the prayer? And where did it come from? Should we pray it? Questions like that. A lot of questions surrounding the origin of the doxology in the Lord's Prayer. And secondly, the aim, the aim, A-I-M, of the doxology. If we pray it, um, what can we learn from it? And I believe it's a, it's a beautiful, I, I personally believe it's a beautiful uh, and biblical ending to the Lord's Prayer. So that's where we're headed for the next few minutes. So let's think first and try to understand the origin of the doxology. First of all, just so we're clear, what is a doxology? What is that? Um, well, that word, that's not an English word, really. It's a word that we stole <laughs> straight out of Greek. We, we did that to a lot of, English is like that. We stole a lot of words from Greek and Latin. Just said, I like that word. I'll Englishify it a little bit and just, just steal the word. I didn't, we didn't translate it. We just took the word. And doxology is a word that we stole straight out of out of Greek. And the Greek word is, is, a, is a compound word from two words, doxa, doxa, which means glory or praise, and logos, which means word. So in, in, in Greek, a doxology is a word of praise, a word ascribing glory to something or someone. And that's what this, that's what this uh, last line, this last statement of the traditional Lord's Prayer is. It's a doxology. I just said the last line of this traditional Lord's Prayer because even though traditionally in you growing up may have included this line, always, whenever you say the Lord's Prayer, it is instinctive in you to say, for yours or thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Even though traditionally when we recite the Lord's Prayer or hear it recited, that doxology is included, it, it, it is not uh, as we've already pointed out a couple of times, it's not in the main text of the prayer. It's footnoted. Why? Well, uh, it might be in, in your Bible, uh, it might be that in your Bible, there's like in mine, there's a, a little, not a, not a long elaborate thing, but a, a little note that goes with the footnote, uh, uh, footnoted last line. In the Bible I'm using, the, the footnote actually says, some manuscripts add... For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Some manuscripts add this line, implying some don't. Some manuscripts have this line, some don't. So let's take it step by step. What does it mean there by manuscripts? Some manuscripts have this and some don't. Manuscripts, when you see that kind of language in your your Bible or like in the footnotes or the notes, study notes, 
or if you're reading another book about New Testament history or the, the, the canon of the Bible, uh, textual history, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to have a lot of talk about manuscripts. What are we talking about? Manuscripts are, are simply all the copies of, of, of scripture that were made throughout church histories. Copies of, copies upon copies upon copies upon copies before the days of the printing press. In order to disseminate the scriptures widely, they had to be hand copied. Very tedious process. Um, often the, the manuscripts that, that survive today that archaeologists have found and, and, and things like that, often the manuscripts that they have found today are just fragments of what used to be whole, whole pieces of, of copies and time and, and weather and, 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 you know, damage has happened to them. So many are reduced to just fragments. However, there are literally thousands of them. There are thousands of them. Sometimes we have larger collections and whole whole works. For example, that was the that's the enormity. If you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's the enormity of that find because it was so many uh, well preserved whole manuscripts of so many biblical texts. But the manuscript evidence, be it tiny fragments to a whole uh, whole cloth uh, copies of of a whole book or or whatever, even codex a codex of several books, the manuscript evidence for the New Testament is overwhelming. It is laughable to compare the manuscripts of the New Testament to other ancient texts. I mean, like, whereas whereas one ancient text is, you know, we, less than 10, or, or not only that, but like uh, in Caesar's Gallic Wars or something, it's like we have one copy, and that was a copy from like the 1400s. <laughs> I mean, nothing early. From, from the New Testament, we have over 5,000 copies, uh, of, uh, ranging from all different sizes, dating back, yeah, date, some dating back centuries after the New Testament, but some dating back very early. And so there is never, 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 hear me on this, there is never a reason in the slightest to doubt the integrity of the Bible that you hold in your hand, because the Bible that you hold in your hand is the product of overwhelming manuscript evidence of the scriptures and a lot of scholarship behind it. But back to the issue at hand. When you look at this note down at the bottom of your page about the doxology, it says some of the manuscripts add this doxology and some don't. And what scholars have, have found is that as they're surveying all the manuscripts that, that we've, we've uncovered through archaeology, and as time marches on, we find more and more and more. That's the, that's the interesting note about the progress of history. It's not that as time marches on and archaeologists discover more and more things, they're not discovering more and more things that throw more and more doubt on the truthfulness of the Bible. As time marches on and archaeology discovers more things, it, it throws more certainty on what the Bible has always said all along. And what, as, as, man, as, as scholars survey the manuscripts that we have, what they found is that in the earliest manuscripts, in the earliest ones we have, dating the farthest back, those are the ones in which the doxology here is not included. Later ones include it, but the earliest ones don't. And the reasonable conclusion 
from that is, is that the doxology must not have been original uh, to the prayer, but someone added it later. Hence, it appears in later ones, but not in the earlier ones. If you watched one of our earlier episodes of um, in this series on the Lord's Prayer, earlier I talked about <laughs> a fictitious character uh, that's based in historical reality, right, that I, I, I lovingly named our meddling monk, our meddling monk. And I talked about him, uh, a monk in a monastery, and monasteries go way back to the earliest centuries of Christianity, a monk in a monastery whose daily job all day was making, was in addition to praying and, and eating or fasting or whatever he did, was to copy, uh, make copies of the Bible. And uh, it isn't far-fetched to think that in that process of copying, copy after copy after copy, that he comes to cross, uh, comes across this passage and he sees, but deliver us from evil. It, it feels like it doesn't need to end there. It feels like it needs some sort of formal conclusion. It needed a more proper ending like a doxology. So he added one. We'll come back around to what he added in just a minute, but the meddling monk, quote-unquote, and there were lots of them, uh, obviously, is, 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 he's, an in, he's an illustration and an example illustrating of what happened often in, in text copying. Um, monks would, would routinely uh, copy the written text, but in the margin or something like that, they would add their own explanatory notes if they felt like something wasn't clear in the main text or it wasn't smooth. And they didn't do that to tamper with the Bible because they had no respect for the Bible. No, they did it precisely because they, they did respect the Bible very much and they want it to be understood or, or what whatnot. Some, something like that is likely what happened here in the Lord's Prayer and the doxology at the end. It doesn't appear that it was original to the prayer, but... Uh, because it's not in any of the earliest New Testament manuscripts that we have, but it was added later. How later, though? Is this something that um, it, it existed in this form right here, in the in the main text form for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, and then sometime in the Reformation somebody added this? No, no, no. I believe that even though the doxology wasn't original to the prayer, that it, it was not a very late addition. In fact, um, in, a, in a very early Christian work called the Didache, the Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, the Didache, uh, it's an, an, an anonymous early Christian document. Um, it's a document that was circulated among the Christian community um, with various instructions and things like that about worship and practice. and uh, Scholars date the Didache, that writing, that document, to the first century, maybe the latter half of the first century. But if we're talking first century, this is it's not to say that it's scripture or anything. Tons of things were written in the first century that weren't scripture. Just because it was written in the first century, there's nothing holy about the first century. But if it dates back to the first century, we're talking about some of the apostles may still have been alive, if not the generation of the apostles, the generation right after them. And in the Didache, that first century document, uh, we read this. And I'm just going to read you a translated portion of 
of the Didache that pertains to what we're talking about tonight. Listen very carefully. Whoever wrote the Didache, it may have been more than one person, but they, they say this, And do not pray as the hypocrites do, but pray as the Lord has commanded in the gospel. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory forevermore. Say this prayer three times a day. End quote. Now, did you notice that in that passage in the Didache, which scholars date to the first century, uh, that it includes that doxology. For thine is the power and the glory forever. They don't say the kingdom, but some form of that doxology is there as early as the first century. It tells us, it means us that whenever the doxology was added to the, to the text of the Lord's Prayer, it was added um, in practice, not in Scripture, but it was added in practice very, very early in the church, as early as the first century itself. So my contention is that while this doxology is not original to the text, as, as in, uh, in the first edition of it, the evidence shows that the, the church has included it as early as the generation of the apostles themselves. It has included it for practically its whole history. Incidentally, notice it also said, pray this prayer three times a day. Um, clearly, that's not a scriptural law given to us that we must obey, but it does show you uh, the practice of the early church, that they would have prayed the, the Lord's Prayer, the text of it. They would have prayed it multiple times a day. Somebody might bristle at that. Say, That's just ritual. You know, that they, they bristle at saying prayers ritually like that, to which I reply, not all ritual is dead ritual, right? Ritual can be dead ritual, but ritual by, by its essence is not dead Right, and, and we've talked about this before, that habits form us. Habits are not just things we do. They are things that do something to us in the process. Right? Habits form us, and, they, and when, it's, when it's routinely, habitually, but meaningfully, praying uh, this prayer many times a day or daily, that is, that is a habit that, that changes us. That's a habit that forms us. It ingrains godly instincts into us. So yeah, I don't, in my, I, my estimation, it would not hurt us to follow this ancient practice. But even from the days of the apostles or the generation just after them, this doxology was included. We don't know who added it, but it was added very early. But just because I don't know who added it, do we know where it came from? We may not know from whom it came, but we may have a guess as to where it came from. I mentioned in an earlier lesson that I believe that the doxology here came from another place in Scripture itself. It came from another place in Scripture itself. Uh, and the place I'm referring to is at the end of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, it's the last chapter of the book, King David uh, is praying a long prayer. It's a beautiful prayer, rich prayer that I commend to your careful study in your own time. But in the middle of that long prayer, in verse 11, 1 Chronicles 29, 11, here's what he prays. 
Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Kingdom, power, and glory, all there. Holy Spirit inspired those words of praise in 1 Chronicles 29, 11. My conclusion on this is that while I agree that the doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is not original, therefore is footnoted, that is not to say it is not biblical. Because if you read it, as we just saw in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, all it affirms are truths about the Lord that are explicitly taught elsewhere in Scripture, inspired Scripture. So, probably not original, but certainly biblical. So should we pray this doxology in the Lord's Prayer when we recite the Lord's Prayer in, in our own prayer life? Well, it's certainly up to someone's own conscience, and we ought to go and obey our conscience before the Lord, right? So I don't think it's mandated upon anyone to pray this doxology. Um, it, someone may come to this and say, well, if, if I know it's biblical, but but it's not inspired at this point. I don't want to pray it. What? And I, I respect that, right? Um, but but it's certainly not wrong to pray it if you if you understand all this in your mind and come to a good conclusion. Dr. Al Moeller, who's the president of the Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary in in Louisville, Kentucky, he said it is not wrong to recite the Lord's Prayer with the concluding doxology or to benefit from this tradition, so long as we understand. The words are not themselves scripture. But, you know, so the Spirit didn't inspire these words here in this place, but he did inspire the very truths that it contains all over the scripture. And, and the way I would say this, uh, think, think of this doxology much like you would think about praying other written prayers by, that were written down by godly believers down through uh, church history. You may be familiar with, with books like um, The Valley of Vision or a collection of Puritan prayers. I commend that book to you. Let me commend another one to you. This is a book called Piercing Heaven, Piercing Heaven, Prayers of the Puritans. It's a lot like um, The Valley of Vision, but, but often these, these Puritan prayers are given to us in slightly um, updated um, but uh, an example. Let me just give you an example in this book of a of a written Puritan prayer. I picked a short one, right? But this is a prayer by the Puritan John Owen. You may have heard of John Owen. Here's a prayer that he wrote down: "Blessed Jesus, we can add nothing to you, nothing to your glory, but it is a joy of heart to us that you are what you are." that you are so gloriously exalted at the right hand of God. We long more fully and clearly to behold that glory according to your prayer and promise. Amen. <laughs> Would you have any hesitation in your own prayer life to, to get a book like this of Puritan prayers and pray that, that prayer? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't because as I read that prayer, it is thoroughly biblical. 
Uh, I, can, I can read those words, and it excites me, and I, I can pray them in my own heart in an, in an animated and intense way, knowing wholeheartedly that it affirms only biblical truth, only things clearly taught in Scripture. And inasmuch as I would pray prayers like that, I can wholeheartedly pray the, the doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer in the same way. For one thing, also, doxologies are common in, in, when, you, when you lay out all the prayers of the Bible, doxologies are very common uh, endings to prayers, right? If you read the book of Psalms, read through the book of Psalms. We studied some of those earlier in the semester before spring break. Uh, notice how many of the Psalms um, end with, they may begin with lament or, or trouble, save me, O Lord, but they end with some sort of doxology of praise to the Lord. So, it's not unusual to add a doxology to a biblical prayer. They're very common in, 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 in the Old Testament and New. But for another thing, this doxology that's footnoted in your Bible, this doxology is very fitting for this prayer. This doxology is very fitting for this prayer, if you ever think about it. Thematically, it's fitting. Um, it says, uh, for yours is the kingdom. Right? Well, we've already talked about his kingdom earlier in the prayer. Your kingdom come. For yours is the kingdom and the power. We've already talked about his power earlier in the prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Assumes that he has the power to do so. Deliver us from evil or the evil one. Assumes that he has the power to do so. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Did we not begin this prayer, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I, I think thematically, this doxology is fitting to this prayer. Even if it's not original, it's biblical and it's fitting to this prayer. Um, and and it, to me also, and we'll, we'll, we'll sort of start our, our, our conclusion with this, I think this doxology is fitting emotively, emotively, to this prayer. Let me explain what I mean by that in the second point quickly. I said the doxology uh, written here is fitting emotively in the prayer because think emotion. I I it's 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 the it is the natural response to of our hearts if we have thought carefully about what we've been praying all along. There's a book that I've I've uh, learned a lot from and gleaned a lot from throughout this study that I, again, commend to you. It's by Wesley Hill on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's not a big book, but it's, it's, it says a lot in a little. And, um, and, and he said uh, uh, on this note, he said, if we have been praying in the previous petitions for God to meet our needs for sustenance, forgiveness, deliverance, our attention shifts in the final doxology as we attend to God's might and majesty. So think about what he's saying. For the past four petitions of the prayer, the focus has been on ourselves. The focus has been on our needs, our daily bread, our forgiveness, our sanctification. But if we pray for those, those things, those last four petitions, um, if, if as we pray those, if as we pray for those last four petitions, we are mindful all throughout not to forget the first three petitions, 
that the Lord's name would be hallowed, that his kingdom and he would, his name would be hallowed by his kingdom coming and by his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. We will naturally right, overflow in praise at the end of the prayer. I, I want to read you two more passages from Wesley Hill's book on the Lord's Prayer. Again, it's a small book that I commend to you, but the reason I want to read these passages to you is I honestly don't believe I could put them any better. Um, and so here's what he said. And I quote, For so long in Western, we are Western, right? For so long in Western theologies, we have focused most of our attention on all that we believe Christ provides for us. A clean conscience, say, or a restored marriage, a renewed work ethic, a reconciled community, the promise of justice and healing for, for the creation, and so on. That we, we focus so much on that that we, tend, we have tended to forget the aim of all of Christ's benefits that we would ultimately be, as the hymn puts it, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Then he went on to say, This is what the final praise in the Lord's Prayer means to direct us toward. There is a time coming when we will, when will, have, when we will have no more need to ask God for bread, for absolution, or for rescue. All of our tears will have been wiped away. Death will have been finally defeated. And the earth and its people will be at peace and thriving. When that time comes, in the words of an old hymn, hope shall change to glad fruition, faith to sight, and prayer to praise. Petitions will not be necessary in God's future. We will cease asking God to supply our needs since we will be entirely satisfied. All that will remain is to praise God, to enjoy His benevolent reign, to rejoice in what His power has achieved, and to see His glory. Well, that, that brings us to the end of our study through the Lord's Prayer. I hope that you've been You've been encouraged by it. I know I have in studying through it and teaching through it. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope that it has helped you in some way. Maybe it has encouraged you to incorporate this prayer into your own prayer life. And like I said at the beginning and like we said earlier in earlier lessons, I think the Lord intended to give us this prayer for a couple of ways. One, not only is to teach us truth about himself, but in, in, in terms of using this in our own prayer life, using this prayer as a model, as a springboard to, to pray uh, prayers of our own heart that, that follow the model of this prayer, right? But also, like I, I've said many times, I think this prayer is, is worthy of incorporating and reciting wholeheartedly in our prayer life, including the doxology. Um, and, uh, and, and so I, I hope that you will... Uh, be able to do that now, either by example or, or by recitation or both, and you'll be able to do that now with a much clearer and, and deeper understanding of this prayer as you do so. I, I appreciate you watching and, uh, and, and being with us throughout this, this study. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us throughout this whole school year, throughout this whole semester, throughout this whole study of the Lord's Prayer. I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading and study of your word. Thank you for this blessing of the Lord's Prayer that you've left to us un unchangeably in your word. We, we, uh, we do ascribe glory and power to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.